Thank you. Hey, uh, Pastor Sean, or not Pastor Sean, Pastor Derek asked if I wanted introduced, and I'm like, ah, nah, I can just, I can just step up there. Um, welcome, everybody. Uh, surprised that I'm here. A little surprised to me, too. Friday morning, uh, Pastor Sean texts me, and it's kind of funny. Okay, so I, I'm taking this e-course with by Chris Burns called The Secret Place, and I'm just gonna plug it. It is probably out of any book, any Bible study, anything I have ever done, the most impactful thing in my life has been The Secret Place by Chris Burns. It's an e-course, and it's all about The Secret Place. But one of the things he says in The Secret Place is don't take technology in. He goes, I know you're gonna think you can take your phone in because you like to look words up or cross-reference things. He goes, but I'll tell you, you're gonna get sidetracked if you have electronics in your secret place. Well, I love my cell phone for many reasons in my secret place. I'll, I'll hit a song, I'll look a verse up, um, I use my dictionary. But this week I've been trying not to take it in there. Because, you know, it's like, it, yeah, I'm gonna try not to take my phone in there. So, sure enough, Friday morning I take my phone into the secret place. And, and sure enough, I'm looking up a, a verse and I'm looking up cross-references and, and studying this word out and this, text pops up from Pastor Sean saying, hey, do you think you could um, preach on Sunday? I'm not feeling very well. And my heart went, bum, 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 bum. And there went my secret. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, preach on Sunday? That's only two days away. Um, so now I think next time I go to my secret place, I'm going to leave my phone out, like Chris Burns said, <laughs> just remain in the secret place. But um, uh, anyhow, so I'm here and I'm sitting there this morning in worship going, I really don't need to speak because literally, like, everything that happened in worship and from Sandy's word and Sean's word and Xander's song really encapsulate my message that I'm going to give today. But um, he isn't that good. I mean, God's so good when he works it all out like that. You know, um, I only knew two days ago that I was going to be speaking, but he knew before eternity that I was going to be speaking, and, and he set it all up. So before I begin, I want to start in prayer. So can we close our eyes and just pray for a minute? Papa God, you're so beautiful, so beautiful, so beautiful. Jesus, we adore you. We adore you. You're the re reason we can live and move and breathe and have our being. And Holy Spirit, the divine encourager, our great help, you are so faithful and so present. We just come to adore you. There is nothing better than you. There's nothing better to do but to worship you, to gaze in your face, to talk about you. You are worthy. You are worthy. You are worthy of it all. May our songs just never lose their meaning. May your scripture never lose its meaning. May it be rich to us each day. Each day, new things, new things. We come, we pour our kisses out upon you, Jesus. We love you, we adore you. And Holy Spirit, your presence is so welcome in this house. Your presence is welcome here to do what you want to do, to say what you want to say. Open our ears that we hear you in a new way. Give us eyes to see that we've never seen before. Lord, we just 
we, we place our hearts in our hands. We lift them to you as a sacrifice. Have our heart completely and wholly. It is yours and we give to you every burden. We give to you every worry. We give it all to you. And we crawl up in your lap this morning and we let you love us. We love you, Lord. Anything, Lord, that comes out of my mouth that is not truth, that is not from you, I ask that you will guard my brothers and sisters that they will not hear it. I just want your purity. I just want your purity to be released and your love to be felt. Holy Spirit, come and have your good and perfect way. In Jesus' name, amen. So yeah, I, um, about a week ago, in my quiet time, um, I have a journal always there with me, and that's something if you don't, get a piece of paper or a journal, because there'll be things, a thought that will come to you from the Lord, and you'll think you'll remember it, and then you'll forget it. But one of the things that um, I wrote just, just a week ago in my quiet time is, the greatest war, the greatest war is the war against our worth. That is the greatest war you'll ever battle, is the war against your worth. And anybody who's known me, has, has any, is there anyone in here who has never heard me speak before? Okay, so you kind of know my favorite topic. <laughs> my favorite topic is the love of God. It's like my favorite topic. It's, it's what I talk about all the time because I think that it's unending. I think that we can hear about his love, think we know it, and we don't because there's more and there's more and there's more and there's more Amen. and it's deeper and it's deeper and I love what Sandy said because she said something to the fact about um, uh, Sandy what was it you said enter in and show us show us more or uh, it, it was just perfect yes every time we enter your presence we want to learn something new and that's the beauty of having this relationship with Jesus. It is unending um, revelation, unending depth of his love. It, it, it is, there are no words to describe it. If, well, that's why, it's why he gave me this, this message, worthy. See, because the enemy does everything he can do to make us feel unworthy of entering in this scandalous, and it is scandalous love, radical love, extravagant love, nothing the world has ever tasted or seen before love. And he, I, I, saw, um, I saw this door yesterday, um, and it was this big, old, heavy door, and the door was the door of unworthiness. And so me and my flesh, because it's something that um, is really something in my life, I always think I have to do the battles. It's something that I have had to learn but to rest in God. But I saw this big door, and the door was unworthiness. And it wasn't like just unworthiness, my unworthiness. It's the unworthiness that mankind feels. And even us in the church at times feel, if, we, if we're real, we feel unworthy. So I saw this big door, and of course in my flesh I raise up, because I'm always like, grab my sword, fight, fight, fight. And in my flesh, I, in my house, I'm standing there in my kitchen and I go like this, because I'm going to just knock that door of unworthiness down. But it was still there. I'm like, okay. So later in the evening, I'm praying for all of us and praying for the message. And I just start talking to God. I'm like, God. And I don't even know what I said. I was just praying. Whatever was, the Spirit was leading me to pray. But 
Next thing I know is I'm just praying for all of you and that any unworthiness we may feel will dissolve and be removed. And as I'm just praying this, next thing I know is I see this big old door, I see it again, but it just comes up off the hinges, well, it opens up, it's lifted off the hinges, and it's laid down. God wants to remove the door that you and I have put up. Can I tell you something? There's really no door blocking us from Father God, only the one we've created in our imagination. But I know that I know that I know that I know that in this moment in time, in history, God is calling the church into a deeper encounter with love than we've ever experienced before. That's where he's calling us to because that's what's going to change the world. I heard a message last Sunday night at a church and um, the pastor that was preaching said, and it's so true, it's so simple, but sometimes it's the simplest thing we just skim over. But she said, if God is love, and he is, we'll all agree, right? Then the greatest force, the greatest power is love. There is nothing greater than love. Love destroys all the enemy's advances against us. And God's wooing us to the place of love. And the enemy of our heart and soul knows that when you encounter love in its purity, in its pure form, stripped of religion, completely stripped of religion, you will be set free. You will walk in a power just like Paul when he walked and people were healed because of the presence in him. But it's the presence of the power of love that we need to get in. Papa God is wooing us and he's wooing us and he's wooing us. But some of us have this door in our mind that we've just put up and it's, it's this door of, I can't get there. I don't know how to get there. I'm maybe unworthy of it something he said to me yesterday, and, and first of all, I just have to say, this is so funny, because um, God doesn't generally give me notes. I try, and he doesn't. Um, last night, I felt like he gave me notes, and um, I'm already, like, off the topic. Not off the topic, but just down the side road. But one thing he did say yesterday to me, you do not need to contend. You need to receive. So if you look up content, because let me tell you, in my spiritual walk, I get my sword up all the time. I'm battling all the time. And then I go to bed exhausted because somehow this little seed comes in that I am responsible to win this battle. I need to do this or that. But this is what he said. You do not need to contend. You need to receive. And I looked up the word contend. Um, I looked, I wasn't in my quiet time. I had my phone with me. I was yesterday afternoon. Um, I looked up the word contend and it, it says to strive or buy in, uh, in contest or rivalry or against. Who's our rival? It means to struggle. It means to strive in debate. Who tries to get us busy debating God's word? It's the enemy of our soul. It means to argue. It means to maintain. Contend means to maintain. You do not need to strive, you need to receive. You do not need to struggle, you need to receive. You do not need to debate the enemy of your soul, you need to receive. You do not need to maintain, you need to receive. 
all God's saying is, come away with me. Come away with me. Come away with me. But some of us have this door that we've placed in our imagination. And it's this door that we're not quite worthy. You know, that other person, they're a little more spiritual. Or that person's wiser. Or I don't know how to get alone with God. Some of the things unworthiness says to us, it says, I can never do anything right. When you catch yourself saying that, stop yourself and say, thank you, God, that I can. Unworthiness says, I'm a disappointment. It says, I don't measure up. I failed God again. I don't deserve to be forgiven. See how many times I've done this? I've messed up too many times. I'm not good at doing anything for God. I, I'm doing nothing for him. I'm just not good enough. And so when unworthiness says all these things, what it does, this is what unworthiness does, it makes you step away from God. And he's calling you closer. I used to get this little vision years and years and years ago. I didn't even know that I was a seer because nobody had taught me anything about that. But I used to get this vision, and in my 20s, I would see myself in Jesus' lap, in a rocking chair, and he rocking me. And then, you know, life got busy and on and on, and I didn't read truth. And, you know, there's a lot of good teaching out there, but you have to know the character of God. You have to know the character of God. You have to know truth, or you will pick up little seeds of religion, and they start growing, and you don't know it. But this is what happened. So I'm in his lap rocking in my 20s. But by my late 20s, when I close my eyes, I'm not in his lap anymore. I'm down, bowed down. As time went on, I was further away from him when I'd close my eyes and further. And I was like way back behind all the crowd. And then not only was I way back there, in my vision, I would want to cover myself up. Like I would want to put a blanket over me and just cover up. I didn't even understand at the time what was happening, but it was the distance that was being built between me and my God that was saying, I'm not really doing enough. I'm not really doing enough. And then some people come and they say things, not meaning to, but make you think, oh, I don't measure up again. I need to try harder. I should be doing this. And we build this door that blocks us from intimacy. Some people never ever enter into the very secret place of intimacy and it's because nobody's even told them there is a place reserved just for them and Abba God. No one's even told them. Some have never entered because they just don't feel worthy. Some people slink into their quiet time and slink in because they're coming with so much shame and guilt and, and, and they can't even lift their head up. If you ever notice anyone with shame and guilt, they drop their head. They drop their head. You can't really enter the secret place if you're carrying shame and guilt. You need to take and lift your head up. It says, come boldly. Come boldly to the throne of grace. You are so loved. You do not need to slink in. Another thing some people do when they come into the secret place and no wonder they don't want to ever go there is because they go there and they go, I'm so sorry, God. I'm so sorry. I messed up again. I messed up again. And they start bringing to God all their garbage. And they don't even listen. Like one time I was in his lap talking to him and this is what I heard. Because it was me going, you know, he wants to talk back to us. You know what? He doesn't need to hear 
everything you did wrong. He, yeah, he knows it and he paid for it and he removed it. He wants you to come and crawl in his lap so he can tell you how beautiful you are. You know, the more we gaze on Jesus, the more we become like him and we look like him. He says, come enter in, my child. Let me kiss you. Let me smother you with my kisses. Hebrews, I'm going to read it in the uh, Passion Translation. Hebrews 4.16. So now we come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. You don't have to come in going, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. You run in like a little child. You jump up in your papa's arms and you say, oh, papa God, I need a kiss. Oh, papa God, what do you want to tell me today? What do you want to show me about yourself today? Some people go into the secret place, and I've done all these things, that's why I know. <laughs> they go into the secret place and it's like, what do you want me to do? What's my assignment today? What do you need from me? What do you want? What do you want? One morning I woke up, um, I, I do a lot of dreaming, and um, I just do a lot of dreaming, and, and sometimes I don't know what to do with all my dreams. It's like, is this from you? Is this not from you? Is this from my soul? Is this from the enemy? Oh, I don't know. In this one particular dream, I don't even remember the dream, but I remember this. <laughs> it was a life-defining moment. I'm sitting there, and I'm going, I'm trying to figure out what this dream means. I'm like, what do you want me to do? Is there something in this dream? You're like, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And I'm just uh, crying out, what do you want me to do? And there was this silence. Now, of course, it was my quiet time, but this was a tangible, spiritual silence. He was not going to answer that question. And there's that awkward little silence. I realized you're not going to answer that question. And then in my mind, I start to think, I'm not asking you the right question. And before I could even get that, I'm not asking you the right question, the right question dropped in me, boom, because I was ready, I was ready. And it was, oh, I need to come to you and say, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to know? Not what do you want me to do? You know, so often we think God, um, had us to be busy about this and that and do this job and that job and this job and that job. God created us because he wanted to have a relationship with us. How many of you are parents in here? Hands up if you're parents. Okay. You had a child. You never thought, I'm going to have this child so they can do my work for me. I'm going to have this child because I need a little help. You created that child in love, you birthed that child in love, you held that child in love, you just wanted to pour love on that child. That child was an object of love. You are an object of love. That's, the, that's your whole reason for being here. It's your whole reason is to have this relationship to experience and encounter and drink in his love. He is so for you. He is so for you. He says you are worthy. You are worthy. 
you are worthy, it has absolutely nothing to do with you, I chose you, I desired you, I formed you, I birthed you, and now I want to love you. Let me love you. Don't believe the lies that there's something you must do. John 15, 15. <laughs> See, he doesn't need you to be his servant. He's called you to be his child. I do not call you servants any longer, for the servant does not know what his master's doing. But I've called you my friends, because I've revealed to you everything that I have heard, my father, heard from my Father God. And I love it in the... Um, Passion Translation, it says, but I have called you my most intimate friends, for I reveal to you everything that I've heard from my Father. God's been teaching me that this is so much easier, so much easier, so much easier, as easy as one, two, three, this relationship, and somehow in our human mind, it can't be that easy. You know, we live in a culture where I have to work hard to get my paycheck, I have to work hard to get an advancement. You know, I have to do these things in order to receive. And Jesus says, just come, just come, come to me. Let me give to you, let me give to you. I like to think of, the, I like to think of, um, well, first of all, when I think of Adam and Eve, I don't think of God being angry and kicking them out, like, oh, you sinned and you disappointed me. Do you know you can't disappoint God? Because, so many of you feel you've disappointed God, but this is the beauty. If you look up disappointment in the dictionary, it means you've had an expectation that was not met. God had no expectations of us that we did not meet because God lives outside of time and he knew the beginning from the end and he already knew every choice you would make. He's not up there going, oh, I expected more from them. You don't disappoint God. You do not disappoint God. So I think of Adam and Eve in the garden. I don't look at it as God being angry at him and removing them from the garden. I look at it as such a beautiful act of love. Because their relationship got broken. When they ate from the um, tree of good and evil, their eyes were opened and what did it make them do? They hid from God. They hid from him. He doesn't want us hiding from him. If he had left them in the garden, odds would be they would eat from the tree of life because they weren't doing very good, didn't have a good record of, of listening. And then they would have eternally been separated and, and, and lost in this knowledge of good and evil, hiding from him. So God, in his great love, performed the first sacrifice and clothed Adam and Eve in clothing and removed them. To me, I look at it as great love. And right away he put his plan in of, of ransom. I also look at the fall, I also look at it this way, the fall this way. Those of you that have a child, and you know if you've ever lost a child for a moment in Walmart or the store, you know what happens right here, right? You know there's this fear, like where'd my child go? This is how I look at the fall. This is the picture he gave me. I had my little girl, this little towhead, and she used to play in the front yard as I would wash dishes in the kitchen window. And this is how I believe it happened, the fall. 
If my little girl was out in the yard and I glance away and look up and she's gone and she's been kidnapped, what am I going to do? First of all, I'm going to run outside. I'm going to search for her. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? I'm going to scream her name out. I'm going to panic. I'm going to try to get the phone. I'm going to holler at the neighbors. I'm going to be going frantic trying to get my little girl back. I'm going to know time is of the essence. I'm going to be doing everything I can. Now let's say that little girl gets returned to me in a few hours. Let's say she ate the candy, bought the lie of the enemy. Am I going to chastise her when I finally get her back? No. I'm going to run to her. I'm going to grab her. I'm going to squeeze her. I'm going to kiss her over and over and over again and be so glad I got her back. I'm not going to chastise her for the choice she made. What if, that, what if she never like, came back at the end of the day? What if a day passes or a week passes or, heaven forbid, a month passes? Is my love wavering for her? No. Have I forgotten her? No. Do I think of her all the time? Yes. Am I still searching? Yes. Am I still hoping for her return? Yes. You would never give up on your child. Just like God would never give up on you. Never. He's going to chase you down. Worst case, well, there's several scenarios, but let's say your child was kidnapped, and we, we hear of these terrible things where they literally get brainwashed, and they start believing the things that the abductor um, tells them that, you know, you didn't want them anymore and you weren't a good parent and that they came to, to you know, help you. And, and they believe that lie. So let's say they're an adult now and you find them. You find them. But they don't want anything to do with you. They don't want to listen to you. They don't think you're good. Does that mean you're going to stop loving them? You're going to still love them, and you're going to try to convince them of your love. See, that's how I look at the story of the fall. We were deceived. We ate the candy. We were kidnapped. But God passionately pursued us, not to chastise us, not to say, what are you doing? But to say, I love you. I love you. I love you. Come back. Um, so many have believed the lie about God that he's angry. And they, they, don't, they don't want anything to do with God, but he's not an angry God. He's a passionate God, and he's passionate for us. You know, the prodigal son, when he returned, he was feeling pretty unworthy. But notice how the father had been watching for him, and the father ran to him, and the father smothered him with kisses, exactly what you would do when your child returned. And the, the prodigal son couldn't even get out of his mouth all of his unworthiness and all of why he didn't deserve. He couldn't do it. His father was so busy smothering him with kisses and hugs and love and clothing him um, that he, he couldn't even get it out. The father wasn't interested in hearing any of that. And he's not interested in hearing what we assume is unworthiness. I heard... Um, I heard Chris Burns in his um, e-course, he said he was talking about Enoch and Enoch's relationship with God. And he said, you know, God's calling all of us into that deeper, deeper relationship. He's saying, come take my hand, come take my hand and walk with me until you never come back again. 
in other words, take his hand and walk into the depth of his heart of love and tell you are so deep in it, you'll never come out of it. Be like Enoch and take his hand. <laughs> he also said something in his course, if we ever start thinking that we know a scripture, we're deceived. Because there's so many levels of depth and truth in a scripture. We need to take a scripture we think we know and come to him and say, reveal and show me something new about this scripture. Show me something new. You know, a couple weeks ago, um, John 3.16, it just, it, it wrecked me. Like one of the first verses you learn, but it just wrecked me. God so loved the world. I mean, I just felt it. I just felt God so loved the world. God didn't hate the world. He wasn't angry at the world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And if you read on further, he didn't come to condemn you, to shame you, to, to judge you. It says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Have you ever thought about that verse? It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. The joy set before him was relationship with you. You are the joy that was set before him. In Isaiah, it says, it pleased the father to crush his son. It's because he knew that in the doing of that, he would have a restored relationship. He would rescue you and ransom you from the, the, the kidnapper, the abductor of your soul. The blood. <laughs> the blood. I, I love, um, just Derek just said so much this morning when he was talking about um, communion. You know, you know the value of an object by the cost. I recently had to get a new vehicle, and so I had to car shop. You know, and this amount of money was going to get me this kind of car, and this amount of money was going to get me this kind of car. And I just had to decide, you know, the, the value of the car. There's a price tag on it. It tells you what it's worth. Your value, your value, God says, was his son. It was the very blood of Jesus. There is no, you have no higher value than the blood of Jesus. That's your value. And it was your value before you took your first breath. It has absolutely nothing to do with you. It's the value that he has placed on you. His blood, it purchased you. It speaks love. It speaks value. It speaks victory. It speaks redemption. It says you are free. His blood says you are free. You are loved. You are cherished. God's been speaking the blood to me. I might have time. He's been speaking the blood to me um, throughout the last few years, but I don't think, I'm going to be honest, I don't think I even get it yet. I don't think we get it. I, I read about it. He talks to me about it, but that blood was so powerful. I had a vision years ago. I don't even know how many years ago, maybe five years ago, I don't know. And I was standing before Jesus. And this is what so many of us get caught doing. I was standing before Jesus, and I was holding a piece of paper up to him. And on that piece of paper was something, I don't know, something I did wrong or thought I did wrong. I'm, you know, that one slinking in, I'm sorry thing. 
And I held it up to him, and he stamped it. And I'm not even sure, I don't remember, I'd have to go back on my journals, but I don't know if it was paid or finished, but then it was laid over here. Well, I turned around, and I grabbed another piece of paper, because there was a stack of them. And I held it up, and boom. You know, there was no discussion, no nothing. He didn't, he just, boom, put it over here. And this was going on for a while, and he would take care of it, because that's what he did. And one time I turned like this, and I realized while I was doing this, the stack grew higher. And I thought, I am going to be her that's what the enemy of your soul wants you to forever be looking at what you, in your eyes, think you have done wrong. If he can keep you busy doing that, he can stop you from drinking the elixir of God's love. So I, I'm looking at the stack at this moment going, I'm going to be here forever. And as I'm looking at the stack, the hand of Jesus reaches over me, and he touches the stack of accusations and the blood from his hand goes through all of them and saturates them, as if to say, it's done. Stop doing this. It's finished. You'd think I'd learn the lesson, but then a few years later, <laughs> maybe it's just me, but I love how patient he is. A few years later, there was this good thing. So I say, you, just, you have to be in the secret place with God. Because I was hearing this good thing about something I needed to do to win a victory in my life. And I was in torment about it because I didn't think, in my heart, in my soul, from what I had heard from Jesus, I was not to do this thing, particular thing. But I, people I absolutely love and adore um, felt contrary. So I was in a little turmoil. It's like, am I not hearing you right, God? So I was before him crying out, God, I don't want to walk in deception. Open my eyes. If I'm being deceived, show me where I'm being deceived. And that is like, honestly, we should remember to pray that prayer every day because deception is deceiving. And, and you could be being deceived in your life and not know it. We have to go to our Father God and say, show me. So I was going to him and saying, show me, show me, show me, because if the enemy of my soul is lying to me and I thought it was your voice, I need to know. He's so good. He will answer your prayers. I went to bed one night, and in the middle of the night, I woke up with this poem. And I, uh, I wasn't home. I was traveling, because I usually have a note paper that I scribble things on. So, but I grabbed my phone. I recorded it, put it away. In the morning, at some point, I remembered, I think I recorded something last night. So this is what I recorded in the middle of the night. It's finished. It's done. What more can you do? Was the blood of the cross not sufficient for you? Wow. <laughs> Was the blood of the cross not sufficient for you? It's finished. It's done. <sighs> it's finished. It's done. The enemy cannot accuse you of anything. The blood of the cross speaks a better word. I shared a word of couple months ago about the blood again. It was the third thing he spoke to me about the blood. And there was this ominous dark presence that I was feeling here. And um, there was a paper here. And over here I felt light. I felt light. But I also felt this urgency, because that's what the enemy tries to get you to do. Urgency, urgency, urgency. To make an agreement with them. I felt this urgency. I was supposed to sign this paper. 
but this felt so dark, and I'm supposed to sign this paper. But then I was like, am I supposed, is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? Because I really feel I'm supposed to sign this paper. I don't want to sign this paper if it's some agreement, and I'm just having this little thing in this vision. But finally, I said, and this is just going back to the trusting God. I said, okay, God, if I'm not supposed to sign this, then you need to stop me. You need to stop me. At that moment, a quill is handed to me. It's a little white feather, and I grab it, and I go to sign, and I'm going to sign Patricia on this line. I see the line, and I go to sign it. As I'm signing, I'm noticing that it was dipped in blood. And as I go to sign it, I'm intending to sign Patricia. But so effortlessly, so fluid, I signed Jesus in blood. And I thought, wait, 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 wait. I, I meant to sign my name. I, I'm, I meant to sign my name, so I go back and I, I'm going to try to put my name there. And I, I start with the P and then I start with the A and it was like, stop. Stop. I signed the name. The name of Jesus. The blood of Jesus. You don't have to make any agreements. You don't, it, it's me. I did it. I completed it. I finished it. It is signed. It is over the blood of Jesus. As I say, I, I think it's so much more powerful than we believe. It is so finished. It is so complete. The enemy cannot bring an accusation against you unless you allow it. There is no such thing as a door of unworthiness. It only exists in your imagination. Jesus has made you. Well, actually, this is so beautiful. Jesus has restored our relationship. Jesus has restored it. He's, he's that father that son was kidnapped, and he's like, here I am, hugging you. He, Jesus, gave you the very glory that father gave him. He gave you righteousness. He gave you holiness. Do you know that the blood literally, I mean, we know this, but do we know this? <laughs> Forgave all our sins, but the sins of all mankind are wiped out completely. Sin is not what is keeping us from God. Because it's finished. It's what we believe about him. See, this is this beautiful gift. God has given us this beautiful gift of love, and his name is Jesus. Heaven and hell is determined by what you do with his beautiful gift, Jesus. It's not by your sin, because believe it or not, he's washed that all away. He calls you beautiful. You were made in his image. He calls you my child. It's what you're doing with his beautiful gift, Jesus. If people in the world knew it's not about their sin. It's just this gift of Jesus that we have to give to them. They maybe would listen to what we have to say if we weren't holding picket signs telling them they're going to hell because they're a sinner. No, it's what are they doing with Jesus? Jesus completed it. He finished it. It's over. It's done. I 
have a few verses I want to read to you. I was going to read out of a couple translations, um, but uh, for time, I'm just going to read out of uh, Compassion Translation. <laughs> okay, I just have to read. I just opened this up, so I'm just going to read this because these are notes. This is what I felt Father told me, 419 of 19. He said, when the church arises from its slumber and, awaken to, and awakens to God's great love, the world will take notice. And then I also have written, we need to be careful that our Bible studies, our book clubs, our devotionals, and all those teachings don't get in the way of our relationship with Jesus. So you can be reading about him, but he wants you to be experiencing him. Okay. Hebrews 10.10. 10. By God's will, by God's will, we have been purified and made holy once and for all through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus the Messiah. By God's will. Hebrews 10:14. And by his one perfect sacrifice, he made us perfectly holy and complete for all time. You are already made perfectly holy. I don't care what the enemy's whispering. I don't care what your soul is saying. It only matters what God says. You are perfectly holy. Perfectly holy. Turn to Galatians. And I just have to say, if you have not read the book of Galatians for a while, I'm just saying, please read it. Just please read it. It's beautiful. Galatians 1.13. He has rescued us completely from the tyrannical rule of darkness and he has translated us into the kingdom realm of his beloved son. Notice past tense. This is past tense. For in the son, all our sins are canceled and we have the release of redemption through his very blood. Colossians 1.19 I'm going to start in 19. I'm going to go through 22. For God is satisfied to have all his fullness dwelling in Christ. And by the blood of his cross, everything in earth, in heaven and in earth, is brought back to him. Brought to its original intent. Restored, past tense, to innocence again. Even though you were once distanced from him, living in the shadows of your evil thoughts and actions, he reconnected you. He came running after you. He came running after you. You were kidnapped. He came running after you. He reconnected you back to himself. He released his supernatural peace to you through the sacrifice of his own body as the sin payment on your behalf so that you would dwell in his presence. And now... There is nothing between you and Father God. There is no door of unworthiness. For he sees you as holy, flawless, and restored. 2, 14 and 15. He canceled, oh, these are some of my favorite verses. He canceled out every legal violation we had on our record. Isn't that what he did when he showed me the blood of his hand on that pile? 
of, of accusations. He canceled out every legal violation we had on our record in the old arrest warrant that stood to indict us. He erased it all, our sins, our stained soul. He deleted it all, and they cannot be retrieved. Have you ever deleted something on your computer you wished you couldn't? It's gone. It's gone. He deleted it, and it cannot be retrieved. Everything we once were in Adam has been placed onto his cross and nailed permanently there as a public display of cancellation. Then Jesus, this is so powerful. Thank you, Jesus. Then Jesus made a public spectacle. He made a public spectacle of all the powers and principalities of darkness, stripping away from them every weapon and all their spiritual power and authority to accuse us. And by the power of the cross, Jesus led them around as prisoners in a procession of triumph. He was not their prisoner. They were his. Stripping away every weapon and all their spiritual authority and power to accuse us. That's what the enemy does. He accuses us. He can get us to do something and then he accuses us. Maybe we're doing something wrong, but he's there telling us how wrong we were. It shames us. It guilts us. It removes us. It distances us from our Father. It's finished and it's done. God is beckoning us. He is beckoning us. He is beckoning us. He is beckoning us. He says, come away with me. Come away with me. I'd love to talk to you about the Song of Songs. Come away with me. Come away with me. Do you know that when you look at Papa God, you overwhelm him? Song of Songs, he gets so overwhelmed by a glance of your eyes that he's undone, Song of Psalms says. He's undone. He wants you. He's saying, come face to face with me. I, I, I just... I know that I know that I know that I know in these end times. It's the power of love that is going to turn this world upside down. But you need to humble yourself. I need to humble myself and know that I need to come daily and drink it in. So often we're like, well, I'm okay, God. I, I, I got this. I'm okay. It's really about, I got, you know, this or that. No, we need to come and drink. There's a poem I wrote a couple years back. And this is a prayer for God to just shatter everything that's wrong in our thinking. Shatter all the shackles in my thinking and my being that diminishes my value to you, the King of Kings. Shatter all the shackles in my thinking and my being that tell me I'm just one of many human beings. Shatter all the shackles, whoops, sorry. Shatter all the shackles that this human mind takes on to think that you're too busy to sing to me your song. For your presence is here within me and never will you leave. One with me, you've made yourself, forever it will be. The only distance that's between us is the one that I erect. In false thinking, you're too busy and the distance must be met. But those are evil seeds planted by the enemy who seeks to destroy me by hindering our intimacy. He attempts to place a wedge, one of distance and lies, that says we must perform to gain favor in your eyes. But oh, the lies they are destroyed when we choose to enter in the place of rest and worship and know we're held by him. So shatter all thoughts thinking, for I am yours and you are mine. This romance that we have, my Lord, is unique and divine. One last one. For some reason, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, one last poem birthed out of my quiet time. My head on your chest, 
The world does roar. Opinions, statistics, human knowledge galore. They shout and they scream, come this way and that, but it's your voice, oh my Lord, I seek here on your lap. My ear on your chest, my breathing does slow. Our chests rise and fall in an intimate flow. It's you that I seek, your wisdom and truth, your voice, oh my Lord, guiding me through. Jesus has so much he wants to tell you. And he wants to tell you how beautiful you are and how loved you are. He wants you to lay down all those weapons you've been wielding yourself and just the power of his love overwhelm you. He's good. He's so good. I encourage you. I encourage you. I encourage you. I encourage you to carve out a time to just sit in stillness with him, to lay your head on his chest, to surrender what you think you know, to be humble and say, I need your kisses. Tell me what you think about me. Show me your character. Papa God, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you for what you're doing in this time, in this hour. You're wooing your bride. You're wooing your bride. You're healing her. You're kissing her. You're smothering her with your kisses. We drink you in, we breathe you in, we say, yes, Papa God. This is what we were designed for. This is what we were created for. Thank you, God. Lord, I pray a blessing over each and every person in this room. Lord, take us deeper, plunge us deeper. This is all about you. This is all about you, your beauty, your goodness. We love you, God. I speak a blessing over them as they go forth today and this week that they will feel your kisses, that they will feel your wraparound presence, that they will have a hunger and a desire to be with you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. May all that we say and all that we do give you glory, for you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are Prince of Peace. You are Emmanuel. You are beautiful. You're so worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. One thing I want to quick do is, is there any, well, let's bow our heads down again, just so that this is a private moment, and close our eyes. Is there anyone in here that have, have never said yes to this love? Is there anybody in here that desires to know this love and to give their life to Jesus, to say, yes, Jesus, I want to know you, I want to know you. If you've never, ever cried out to Jesus to know him, Raise your hand, and we'll pray for you. It's the most beautiful, beautiful, beautiful relationship there is. He is good, and he only has good for you. Okay. So we trust that all of you have encountered this love, and we thank you, Papa. We just receive your big old kiss <laughs> in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Be blessed, guys.